Cool. Well, we're going to continue on. We're going to start Ephesians chapter 2 today. Um, the plan is to take a break for a week or two from Ephesians after we finish the second chapter of Ephesians. Take a little breather from Paul smacking us in the face with some hard truths that we don't necessarily like and things like that. So we'll take a little break a week or two and then hop back into it. Um, so you've still got a couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter 2 and then we'll be moving on from there. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 is a little bit less theologically divisive, if I can use that terminology, than Ephesians chapter 1 is. Um, and it includes two of my favorite words in Scripture. And so I'm giving you homework as we read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. That's today. As we read it, I'm giving you homework to find what are two of my favorite words in succession. It's not just, oh, look, two of my favorite words are random. No, no. In succession, those two words appear right next to each other. My favorite words. You, you looked at the screen funny. What? Great. So did Aunt Lori. Aunt Lori mouthed them, so I'm glad nobody turned around and saw her. Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 10. Chapter 10. There aren't 10 chapters in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It reads, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Show of hands. Don't say it out loud. How many of you think you got it? Okay. A little bit under half. We'll see when we get there. Number one on your note sheets. Who you were. Who you were. Not we're, as every time I type the word were, it tries to autocorrect to. I don't know if you've experienced that in your phones. It's kind of annoying. I know I'm bad at spelling, but I know the difference between we're and were. And there, there, and there, in case you wanted to know. Who you were. Here's the thing, church. No one in history outside of Christ, when I talk about things like this, let's just assume I'm not including Jesus in it. No one in history is a good person. Not a single one. That includes my mom, who's incredible. That includes my wife, who is one of the best people I know. Sorry, Maddie, you're not a good person. 
We read it right here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now you might be sitting there going, Pastor, I know good people. They're kind, they're nice, they're generous. Yes, they're all of those things, maybe. They are not good. No one is good. We are all children of wrath. We're all children of wrath. We were all people who just gave in to the indulgences of the flesh and of the mind. Notice, we like to talk, right? right? We like to talk about sins of the flesh a lot. But in verse 3 there, he goes, uh, uh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We like to leave out the things that we think about. We like to think that our minds are our own little safe space and we can think about whatever we want to. Every once in a while, I'll come downstairs after I've showered and I'll say, Maddie, do you want to hear about the argument I had in the shower and how I dismantled that other person? And Maddie goes, yes. Right, we all have things in our minds. It's not just the desires of the flesh that's a problem with us. It's how we think as well and what we think about. I'm not telling you there aren't nice people in the world. I'm not telling you there aren't kind people or generous people. I am telling you that the Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. And if nobody's righteous, you can't be good either. Now, Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me, makes me good. But it's not me that is good. I have no inherent goodness in me and neither do you. We were all like this. We all lived according to the world. We all looked at what the world said and the world did and went, yeah, let's jump in on that. And you might be like me. I got saved when I was like five or six years old. It was very early on in my life when I actually could understand what salvation was that I got saved. But there was a middle section of my life where I lived according to the world still. I was a Christian, but I really didn't care. Between the ages of like 12 and 16-ish, this four-year span I lived according to the world, and I'm here to tell you, so did you. It's the way that we are as humans. We love to look back, right? How many times do you read in Scripture, and you look back at Israel, and you're like, how did they not get it? How did they miss it? Man, no wonder God got so mad at them. And then we turn around and do the exact same thing and act like we're better than them. No. Church, it's important to understand. I was talking about this um, in men's group on Monday night. I, I said it is important that we as people can look at ourselves and understand truthfully who we were and who we are now. It talks about it in James. You can't, if you look in the mirror and see yourself, right? You look in the mirror, you see your hair needs to be combed and your teeth are yellowing because you haven't brushed them and, and you, you, know, you haven't put on deodorant and you look bad and you go, this will do for the day. And you walk out the door and forget about it. Then what was the point of looking in the mirror? We need to be able to look in the mirror and see our hair needs a nice comb through it and go, all right, better run the comb through it. Things like that. It's important for us to remember and understand who we were. 
Because until we can actually understand that, the rest of it, just kind of what we're going to talk about, just kind of loses itself on us. So number one, who you were. Number two are my two favorite words in Scripture. But God. But God. Because here's the thing, if Paul stops writing there and just says, hey, that's who you were, see you later, then we have no hope. We have nothing in us. We have no goodness. We have no righteousness. We have no holiness. We have no hope. We have no faith. Nothing. But God. Every time those words appear in Scripture, it's always things are bad. And then God shows up. Every time. If you're reading through Scripture and you read those words, but God, you know something great's going to happen. What happens here? Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, transgressions, excuse me, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. How many of you have those words in parentheses in your Bible? I do as well. Now, what does that mean? Because it's in parentheses. You will also see this in the end of Mark and a few other places. What it means is there are some transcripts that have that line in there, and there are some that do not. Ancient transcripts and such. So they put it in there in the parentheses to let you know it might be what Paul wrote. It might have been added in by somebody else later because that same sentiment is then said again in different terminology a little bit later on in the same chapter. So it's still true. I'm not trying to sit here and say, well, there's falsehoods in our Bible. No, it's just the experts. And my dad always says an expert is just a drip under pressure. Don't know if that's considered, if it's technically written by Paul's hand or not. Actually, none of it was written by Paul's hand. If it was spoken by Paul as it was dictated out. Doesn't matter, but I wanted to let you know that that's why it's in parentheses in your Bible. So, but God, being rich in mercy and love. Here's the thing, church. And then he continues on there and he goes, even when, verse 5, even when you were dead in your transgressions and your trespasses made you alive. God doesn't wait for you to become good, to do the right thing, to become holy, to, to live a life that's good and go, all right, fine, I'll save that one. He doesn't wait for you to get up out of the mud and the muck and go, okay, Jesus, I need you now. No, 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 no. What he does is says, you're dead, you're dirty, you can't help yourself, I'm going to. He doesn't wait for us to try to figure this thing out. He doesn't wait for us to try to figure out how to be a good person in the world's standards. He doesn't try to wait for us. He says, no, I'm going to come and get you. Because this, this gap is too wide for you to get across. I will be the one who does it. You can't. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, lest none should boast, right? This idea, right? I'm not a parent. Lord willing, one day I will be. But I, I've talked to parents, including my own, about some things that have to do with parenting. And 
I, I, was, I was talking to my dad at times and my mom about saving your kids from things that they don't even realize they're in. And especially when they're kids, you're the one that's kind of got to get beat up so that they're the ones that aren't. You take the brunt of it. It's your job as a parent. We just sang it this morning. God is our father. So he bears it and he's willing to because he knows we're helpless. And he's so rich in this mercy and this love that he goes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to strip myself down. I'm going to become human. I'm going to become one of my creations. I'm going to live 33 some years. I'm going to die a brutal death. I'm going to rise again so that Sam Brush in 2000 and right about 2000-ish, maybe 1999, you know, around there, will be mine. Because I'm rich in mercy and love. We've talked about it before when it comes to how can God save some and not others. Saving one means he's rich in mercy and love. How many times do you just go, I'm not going to be the bigger man here. They want to be mean. They want to be rude. Fine. I'll do it back. How many times does God do that? How many times does God go, oh, you're going to turn your back on me? Fine. I'll turn my back on you. Never. Because he's rich in mercy and in love. So number one, who you were. Number two, but God. Number three here, for by grace. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I want to stop there. When you're a kid sometimes and you're in, the, uh, you know, in, in children's church or in Sunday school or whatever, you might hear, oh, it's 50% God, 50% you, because you have to accept it. No. And then as you get older, I've heard a lot, oh, it's 99% God, 1% you. Because God's the one that did all of the work, right? That's a good, that's a good breakdown. It's not. It is 100% God, 0% you. Not only if you want it with predestination, but just you did nothing for salvation. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. God willfully chose to die. It was 100% him. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. How many of you, on Christmas morning, when somebody hands you the gift, right, you go, oh, this is 50% me. I, I did 50% of this. No. It's 100% the person that gave you the gift. And God gave the gift of salvation. It's 100% him. Every time, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I tend to quote that in the uh, the King James Version, right, as we memorized a lot when we were kids. But it's the same sentiment, not by works, lest none should boast. I'm fairly open with myself about my defaults. It doesn't mean that I always fix them like I should. But I'm fairly aware of my own defaults and defects. And one of them is that I have a tendency to be really prideful. A lot of men struggle with this, a lot of women as well, but I, I see it manifest itself more openly in men than in women in a lot of ways. And you know, 
I really, really like it when people clap for me. I really, really like it. It, it was tough on Rise. There were moments when we'd be singing to a thousand people and they clap and I'm like, yes, we did do a good job, didn't we? Here's the great thing about God. As much as I enjoy pride, he's really good at knocking me back down again. Sometimes he's used my parents. Sometimes he's used situations. Sometimes he has literally physically injured me. Whatever it takes, I guess, right? Not a result of works, lest none should boast. I can tell you right now, I know that if I could work my way into heaven, I would boast about it nonstop. Always be talking about it. At all times. Look at what I did yesterday. Look how nice of a guy I am. We didn't just tithe today. We gave, praise me. But God said no, because there's millions, billions of people, trillions throughout history of people just like Sam Brush. I'm the one that gets the glory. Not me, God. You know, I'm, I'm speaking as God right now. I'm the one who gets the glory. I'm the one who gets the praise. I'm the one who gets the honor. They're mine. Those people are mine. So I'm going to do this so that nobody can boast about it. Now I'll boast, but I'll boast in Christ. And then he continues on, and here's this incredible ending to this uh, paragraph for Paul. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Hold on a second, Pastor. I thought you said it wasn't about works. Works don't get you into heaven. But in the paraphrase of James, you say you have faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. I do the right thing because God said so, because I was created to do it. There was a time, we were in the car, it was Maddie and I, and Maddie asks good questions of me that make me have to actually evaluate why I do things. And she asked me, how come you, who are an angry person who is a fighter, not a peacemaker, will go and be the first one to apologize. Or will go and just do the right thing. And I said, one, I was raised that way. Uh, you did the right thing or you learned what the right thing was really quickly. But two, because I'm a Christian. And because God doesn't expect me to live according to the world, God doesn't expect me to do the wrong thing because I'm tired, or God, uh, God doesn't want me to go, okay, it's fine. You take this break, and you don't do the right thing right now. You've had a really hard couple of days. No, God expects me to walk in good works no matter what situation I'm in, no matter how tired or hungry I am, no matter what. God expects me to do good works every time. I'm here to tell you, church, if you've accepted Christ, he's expecting the same thing of you. You don't get a day off. You don't get to go, I'm just going to take it easy today and not worry about doing the right thing. I love sports, so I'm going to make a, a sports analogy with this here. 
with two of the greatest American athletes of all time, Tom Brady and LeBron James. During the NBA Finals this year, in a game at which the Lakers lost, LeBron James, knowing his team was going to lose, with over a minute left, walked off the court. Fast forward a few days to a Thursday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, quarterbacked by Tom Brady, and the Chicago Bears, quarterbacked by Nick Foles. And Nick Foles won again. He's 2-0 against Tom Brady. This game was not quite as big as the first game that he played against him in the Super Bowl. And for the second time, Tom Brady walked off the field without shaking his hand. Now, you might say, Pastor, there's COVID going on. Yeah, but the weeks prior, he shaked everybody's hand. And in the Super Bowl, he didn't shake Nick Foles' hand. It's almost as if he really doesn't like this mediocre, at best, quarterback who just seems to be able to beat him. And as I was listening to some sports talk radio that week, a, a gentleman was talking about how he doesn't blame either of them. They'd fought, they'd done this, you know, and they, they need to, if it's up, and he goes, and kids, you need to realize it's not these guys' jobs to, parents, it's not these guys' job to teach your kids how to be good sportsmen. That's your job. And I said, yes, but these are two of the greatest athletes ever. One is considered the best in a sport ever, and one, it's half and half, depending on who you are. They have a duty to show what it is to be a good sportsman. They don't get to have an off day. They signed up to be the number one person in their sport. They don't get to have an off day. I'm not talking about in how they play, but they don't get to have an off day in decorum. They don't get to have an off day when it comes to that. If you just got your butt whooped, you go out there and you shake the other team's hand. Or if you're in hockey, you fist bump. That's what you do. It's part of it. So I didn't give him a pass. I said that showed me a lot about LeBron James and Tom Brady's character as people. Because you can't lose with dignity. Win with humility, lose with dignity. That's how I was taught, and I did a lot of losing when it came to sports. Church, if you're a Christian, now here's the thing, if you're not a Christian, Christ isn't expecting this of you. Because you're not his right now. But if you're a Christian, you signed up you signed on to be the one everybody looks at. You don't get to have an off day. Because one off moment. Tom Brady, in 21 years of being in the NFL, has had one or two bad moments. And it has soiled his entire image for a lot of Americans. He's played 300 games. Plus, he messed up one time then that's all it takes. You don't get to have off days. I'm not saying we're perfect. That's why it's important to understand how to go ask forgiveness. But you need to realize that you are his workmanship created for good works. Therefore, you don't get to do the wrong thing. You get to do the right thing. And that's the other thing. Real quick, we'll end here. Don't look at it as, oh, I have to do the right thing. Look at it as, I get to do the right thing. I get to be the person that people look at and go, wow. Who are they? Yeah, they're not perfect, but man, there's just something different about them. And all of it comes back to but God in being rich in mercy and love reached down while we were still dead and pulled us right back out of it. It's so comforting to me, and I pray it's comforting to you.
Yes, we walk a hard road. But man, Jesus is the one there leading us on, spurring us on, and reaching down to pull us out of that mud and muck. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those two words in Scripture. But God, because I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, and none of us here do. I was dead in my trespasses. I was somebody who indulged in the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. But you are so rich in love and mercy and said, I'm going to save him from himself because he can't do it. I'm going to save her from herself because she can't do it. I praise you, Father. I ask that we would never become complacent in it. I ask for boldness and strength for each of us here to do the right thing no matter what. It's not easy and we're going to stumble. But I pray that when we do it, you would help us to understand that, yes, you pick us up and then you tell us to keep walking and help us to do that right thing every time. Father, we praise you. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.